Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. And I want to welcome you to today's edition of Calvary Live. And we do invite you to give us a call here on uh, the air and ask your questions and to give your prayer request. You just heard the number given to you. It is 303-690-3000. And that is the call-in number for you to call in and be on the air, and you can ask your questions about the Bible or Christian living or what is our worldview on certain things that we see going on around us. Let's talk about the Lord. Let's be encouraged in the Lord, and let's go to the Word of the Lord. And I hope that you do consider calling in at 303-690-3000. And, of course, we do have the text line that is 720-336-0897. That is for texting only. Let me give you that number again, 720 720- Three three six zero eight nine seven, and so you can text in a question or a prayer request, and that is also a twenty four seven prayer line that you can at any time uh, text in a prayer request, and there will be those who will be praying for you. So that's been taking place for several months now, and what just a tremendous blessing to have that resource for you, for people to pray for you, and so we invite you during this next hour to. Uh, text in a prayer request, text in a question, or perhaps call in, and we'd love for you to call in because this is really your show. Those of you who are tuned in on Grace FM, we want to welcome you on this beautiful spring day. We've had a last uh, week or so, or last several days have been very warm, and it feels spring-like, but it it kind of teases us this time of the year, doesn't it, in Colorado? And uh, matter of fact, they're talking about perhaps some snow coming in this weekend, so keep an eye on that, and it could be a pretty good spring snow, and we want you to be prepared and safe as we get closer to what the forecasters are saying. But we need the moisture, and and that's really important up here in Weld County, uh, where agriculture is uh, one of our uh, main industries here, and, uh, you know, we need the moisture, we need the water, and uh, those who work the land and farm will be preparing the ground here soon for uh, planting, and so we want to make sure that uh, we keep that all in prayer, our reservoirs and rivers being filled with water, such a precious resource. So give me a call, 303-690-3000. The text line is 720-336-0897. As soon as phone calls come in, we'll go to the phone lines. We've got a couple open lines right now, and uh, so... Uh, let's go ahead and let's go to Strasburg, where uh, Wani is on line one. Wani, did I say that right? Yes, you did. And Pastor Jeff, I just so appreciate you and the pastors that do this every day. Um, well, it's it's a and, privilege. It it really is. And if I'm ever in Greeley, <laughs> I guess I live in Strasburg. That would be a long drive. Um, I would love to visit your church. Um, well, I, I, several... I would love to meet you. Oh, good. I have several prayer requests. My daughter-in-love okay. is 29 
almost 30 weeks pregnant. This is a fourth pregnancy. It's totally a gift from God. They were really taking precautions because they'd lost the baby. And um, she may have preeclampsia because she has a headache that won't go away. And so she's going to go in and get tested for that. So protection for her and the baby. And then um, another dear sister in the Lord, cancer is throughout her body. She just found out two weeks ago, and tomorrow they do a brain scan to see if it's in her brain. Okay. And a brother, well, he at one time followed the Lord, but several years ago when his wife was injured, she was a deputy on the job, and then she was turned down for a complete um, retirement. He kind of got angry and walked away from Jesus, and he's now in palliative hospice care. Okay. So it's just... You know, and then the praise, you prayed for her, my friend, several weeks ago. I worked with individuals that are intellectually disabled, and one of them mm-hmm. had a precancerous scare. Uh, she had surgery on Friday, and the tumor okay. was benign. And so just Good. so many praises for that because... Good. Good. Yeah. So I remember that. I, I was just looking back at my prayer list and looking at that. So we praise God for that. Yeah. So let's pray. Father, we do pray for Wani as her daughter-in-law is 29 weeks pregnant and um, has this condition that um, that she's having headaches. And uh, we just pray for healing. We just pray that you give the doctors wisdom. And um, Lord, uh, she's in a critical time of the pregnancy. I I just pray for safety for that baby. As you, your word says that you fearfully and wonderfully it made us in the womb, and just as you're doing with this child. So I just pray that you be with the parents, that you be with um, her daughter-in-law, that you would just bring healing, that you would bring uh, a safe and um, full uh, pregnancy where the baby develops inside the womb to maturity and uh, as easy as possible labor. Lord, you are the one. Uh, life is very precious. And uh, and so I just pray that you would just have your hand upon these two. Lord, I also pray that uh, you would just, um, her sister that uh, she cares about in the Lord has cancer, perhaps in the, in, in the brain and, and having some more tests. And so, Lord, I just pray that um, you just bring uh, just um, comfort, healing even, and it's a very serious condition, but Lord, nothing is too difficult. I think about what you said to Jeremiah, nothing's too hard for me, Jeremiah, and that includes healing. So I just pray for your hand upon her, and Lord, um, I just pray for your touch and your comfort to be upon her. And Lord, I also pray for this other individual that, um, that has anger and that you would be with him, and Lord, uh, Lord, as he uh, struggles and in his heart, and even though uh, as he is in a place where um, he's taken care of, um, that uh, in towards the latter days of his life, that Lord, that there would be a peace that would come to him. I thank you for Wani and just her desire to pray for people, how she cares for people. I can tell in her voice. We thank you for the praise report of her friend that um, the the test came back negative for cancer. And, and Lord, I just pray that um, the people that are linked to her uh, in her life, Lord, that um, she would continue to be a blessing. We thank you for her intercessory prayer. 
We just pray for these individuals that she's lifted up to you, that you would touch, strengthen, heal. Lord, that they would perceive your presence in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. And um, I'm Jill's friend. We go to Bennett I know. together. I, and she just, I, uh, when I told her, I said, I got to talk to Pastor Jeff. And she said, oh, isn't he wonderful? <laughs> and so we just, we just hope your ears were burning because we just both so appreciate you. And, well, um, I thank you for calling. And she's a very, very dear sister that we miss. But I'm so glad that she's found you and fellowship, and that just delights my heart. So you guys keep in touch, okay? We will, and God bless you, and thank you so much. You bet. God bless you. Thank you for calling. Bye. 303-690-3000 is the calling number. Maybe perhaps that you got a prayer request, or maybe you got a question, and so we'd love to be able to talk with you. The text line is 720-336-0897. we got two open lines, so... Love to talk with you. Let's go to Aurora. Paul's online too. Paul? Hey, Pastor Jeff. Thank you so much for taking my call. How are you? I am good. Um, okay, so my I have a prayer request. It's, uh, it's twofold. Um, so my wife had a miscarriage on Thursday night, and uh, so I just want prayer for comfort for her and I as we uh, grieve over the loss, but also... Aww. Um, that God will have his way in our family, and if it be his will for our family to grow, that uh, that, that will happen in his timing and um, help us find comfort in that. Absolutely. I'm so sorry for your loss. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, and second part of the prayer request is tonight at 5 o'clock, so in less than an hour, I have the first step of uh, an interview process for a new job. Um, this first step will be just a phone call interview. Um, so okay. kind of want God to also have his way in, in that endeavor. And if uh, that opportunity be his will, that he will make it an easy process and, and uh, a good transition from one place to the next. Absolutely. So, Father, I pray for for Paul, and as he and his wife have suffered a loss, um, Lord, that uh, we know that um, you're the one that knew us in our mother's womb. And um, so, Lord, they've lost a child. And I pray that you bring comfort to them, comfort to his wife, that they would know that that child is with you. We know that from Scripture. We know that David would proclaimed that the child that he lost, uh, that he would see again in heaven. And so, Lord, um, I just pray for Paul and his wife that the comfort would come, that there's an eternal perspective of, of this child being with you. One day they will see them. And, Lord, I just pray that you'd be with Paul and as he has this interview. And, and just um, even with the things that weigh heavy on his heart right now, um, that you would help him to think clearly. I pray that uh, you would help him to answer the questions, that if it's your will, that this job interview um, would go uh, good and, and where the job interview would present a job opportunity uh, to provide for his needs, Lord. Um, just work. And th- they would know that you care for them, you have a plan for them. And Lord, that you would just um, just bring... Um, the things that they need right now, the wisdom, comfort, strength in every way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, Pastor Jeff. Thank you so much for the prayer. Hey, Paul, we'll be praying for you. Keep us keep us updated, and we'll continue to pray for you in this job interview and, 
and uh, but also the comfort that comes to you and and um, and the loss and and I know that the Lord desires to bring that comfort to you. All right, well, thanks so much, and I'll uh, okay. when things progress and I have some praise reports, I'll definitely be in touch. Thanks, I appreciate it. God bless you. God bless. Bye bye. 303-690-3000. My name is Jeff Figgs. I pastor at Calvary Chapel Greeley. So delighted to be with you on Calvary Live this afternoon. A beautiful day here in Colorado and Grace FM all along the front range. You are listening live on this Monday, this warm day, and uh, the uh, the Grace FM uh, gets you know, the uh, signal gets clear up in the southern Wyoming, even into the panhandle of Nebraska. Love to hear from you guys uh, up in Wyoming. So give me a call. Was up there on Friday. It's just a beautiful day. Uh, rivers and lakes are still frozen, but we're headed in the right direction. And then also in southern Colorado, have so many friends down in the Colorado Springs area. So give us a call. And I want to welcome all the Hope FM and I want to welcome all the Truth FM listeners as you're listening in on the East Coast. As you call in, we can have our conversation just to remind you, you are a week delayed. And I also want to welcome all the online listeners that are listening all across the country. So just want to be able to say you can call in as well. And so we're so glad that we can reach you and be a part of your lives here on Calvary Live. We've got a couple open lines. And, uh, and if Paul, if you're still listening, just want to let you know that uh, there is a miscarriage ministry at Calvary Roar. I just um, was told that, and um, they're taking a break for meetings. But you can call the church at Calvary Church in Aurora, and uh, you can look it up. It's easy to find. Uh, 303-628-7200 for information. But you also got people there that will care for you. And they will also minister to you and pray for you if that's something that is of help. So just want to pass that information on to you. Let's go to Jeremy in Platteville. Hi, Jeremy. Hi. Hey. How how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing good. So what yeah, do you got for good. me today? Um, so my question was, I was just reading in First Samuel and... I just know that I, well, when I was reading, it said that Saul went to this woman, and this woman called up Samuel from the dead, and I think it was witchcraft, but and I just I just don't understand how Samuel even came back from heaven either. I don't know. I just don't. Can you just explain what happened to me? <laughs> well, yeah, and there's a debate on that in some ways, um, because did Samuel actually even come up? Um, there's several explanations for it. Some believe, and, and for the matter of background, as you go to 1 Samuel in 28, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 28, Saul, towards the end of his life, is going to, um, you know, uh, this median uh, to ask, you know, what's going to happen. Um, he is not right with God, and he goes to the median, even though the Old Testament Jeremy, we know, says that they were not to seek occultic practices and things like that. So he consults this medium, um, and uh, it is uh, the one at Endor, the the um, medium that was there. And as he goes, um, we know that uh, he disguises himself, but uh, what seems to be Samuel comes up and speaks to them. So some have said that, was it, or the debate is, was it actually 
um, Samuel who had already passed on, or was it a demonic spirit or something like that? Um, so the debate is this. Um, we do know that demons have the power to perform lying signs and wonders. We know that from Matthew chapter 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Revelation chapter 16. Um, so some say that perhaps this was a demon that came up. Um, I don't know if I hold for that uh, view. Um, others say that it wasn't Samuel because we get Luke chapter 16, Jeremy. Remember that story that Jesus told? And as he told that story, he told the story of Lazarus and the rich man. And they both uh, died, and Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom, but the rich man went to the other side, uh, the the uh, the place of the unrighteous dead. And there was a big chasm between them. But the uh, rich man calls over to Abraham and says, Hey, have Lazarus dip his finger in cool water and touch my tongue. I'm in torment. And Abraham says, No, there's a big chasm we cannot cross. And then he said, Can you please send Lazarus back to warn my brothers? And Abraham said, No, can't do that. They have the scriptures. So it seems like the indication is that, you know, once you're there, you're not going to come back. Um, so that's the other view, um, that death is final, the dead cannot return. Um, and the second view that we have, so there's the view that say that it wasn't Samuel that came back. The other view is that Samuel really did come back. Um, and there's certain verses that indicate that because she was surprised. Do you remember reading that? That she was the what? That the the witch was surprised when she saw Samuel come up. Oh, yeah. You remember yeah. reading that? She was surprised. She said, whoa. Um, and it says in verse 12, when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul saying, why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. So she wasn't expecting it. She wasn't expecting it to be um, Samuel at all. And so some seem to suggest that, in fact, he did return from the dead. He provided a prophecy that actually came to pass. Um, and it's unlikely that demons would utter God's truth since, you know, the devil is the father of lies. Um, I think the, the view that I hold to um, is that God just sovereignly and miraculously allows Samuel's spirit to appear in order to rebuke Saul for his sin. And um, and I think that's what happened. And he comes back. He speaks truth. He says, Saul, you're going to die. Your life's going to come to an end. So I think God allowed it for this time to happen. It seems to indicate that, but there are those who disagree. So study it, look at it, and you'll kind of come up with your own conclusions on that. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. And can I ask a quick question, real quick? Uh huh. Yeah. Um. Was Was Saul saved? Because to me, it doesn't seem like he was. But. Well, th there's that's another debate, Jeremy. Because the debate was was he saved or wasn't he saved? And um, you know, he started out well, didn't he? And he started out doing well. He was head and shoulders above everyone else. You see him at different times as you've been reigning through First Samuel. Uh, you see him, he's uh, prophesying with the prophets, you know, as the Spirit came upon him. Um, but then you see that he's full of 
hate. He's full of jealousy and anger, and he's pursuing David. Um, he ends up killing the you know the priest. Um, he did some really bad things, and at the end of his life, instead of seeking the Lord, he ends up seeking this this medium, and um, and ref- he's not listening to the Lord. He's not right with the Lord. So there's a debate whether he was saved or not, and you know that's where we got to leave it in God's hands. And I'm so grateful that I'm not the judge, or um, we can look at it and we can see some reasons why he may not have been saved. There are those who come along and say there's reasons why he was saved. So I don't know. Um, it's a debate that is open, but we do know this. As you look at his life, it's not how you start, but how you finish. And it's very easy. The Bible talks about drifting away, the book of Hebrews, from truth. There's warnings about falling away and turning apostate. And we need to take these warnings very serious. And, um, you know, Saul's life was a a tragedy. We know that he focused on himself. We talked a little bit on Sunday about how he was one that when he was told to destroy the Amalekites— he comes back, he made a monument to himself. He said, I did all that the Lord performed. And Samuel the prophet came back and said, no, you didn't. It's better to obey than the sacrifice. And when you read that, you read it and you think, well, Samuel was kind of being hard on Saul. And you also, and here's the other thing, Jeremy, to remember as you go and read about Saul, sometimes people think, well, God was so hard on Saul because he did mostly what he was told to do, but he didn't commit murder. He didn't commit adultery like David did, and David was forgiven. So sometimes people think that David received a pass and Saul didn't. The Lord was just hard on him. But that's not true. The thing is, Saul's heart wasn't right with the Lord. And you know the big difference between David and Saul was? Saul never wrote a psalm to the Lord. You never see that. And he was totally into himself. He made monuments to himself. He's saying, Samuel, bless me before the people. He wanted to be exalted before the people. So his heart wasn't right with the Lord. We know that. He never wrote a psalm to the Lord. He let Israel diminish spiritually. He didn't care about the the Ark of the Covenant, you know, the tabernacle, uh, the spiritual things. David, he did. You know, he... He wanted the tabernacle to be in the city of David. He brought the ark back. He was one that had a heart after God. So those are the biggest difference that you see with Saul and with David. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much. That helps. You you bet. Good question, Jeremy. So you can look at that, and then you can tell me what you think, okay, about the witch at Endor. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Pastor Jeff. You bet, Jeremy. God bless you guys. All right, 303-690-3000 is the number to call. We got um, a couple open lines. I'd love to talk with you. And uh, also we got the uh, text line that you can text in a question or a prayer request, 720-336-0897. Let's go to Parker. Ryan's on line two. Hi, Ryan. Hey, Thanks for taking on the show, Pastor, and for uh, answering all kinds of questions, of course. I had one from Genesis chapter 3. Actually, I was trying to get three in one if time (laughs) 
permitted. You can take it by yeah. the reins and steer it as you want. Probably, hopefully, quick questions here, but just from sure. verses um, chapter three, verses fifteen and sixteen is where I had to three. My main one was, and this is after the fall of Adam and Eve when God is speaking to the serpent. He says in fifteen, and I will put en- enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel the main question i just wanted clarification um it seems like a first first prophecy to calvary he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel right yeah and that is the first promise of messiah and you know and uh one of the things ryan that uh, I, I have noticed more and more as I read through the scriptures, all of a sudden, chapter 3, here, you know, Adam and Eve sin, it's a fallen world. It's just, um, you know, it's like, seem hopeless and helpless. But as the Lord's talking about the consequences of a fallen world, and now spiritual death has come. Sin has entered the world, but he didn't leave us without any hope. And he, he says that between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It's the first promise of Messiah. He didn't leave us without any hope. And Ryan, you know, even going through the books of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel that we've been doing in our midweek study, it seems like it's chapter after chapter of judgment coming to a nation um, that had rebelled against the Lord, but he never left them without any hope. He never left them without any hope. And he would talk about the new covenant. He would talk about how, you know, God would bring them back. And and he says, I know my thoughts towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. You know, just that promise. I'm so grateful here, the first promise, that there is going to be Messiah that's going to come. And, um, and he's going to come from the woman. And he is going to crush your head, Satan. So at this time, Satan, knowing that, that the Messiah is going to come, has tried to destroy, you know, uh, the Jews. And everything that we even see going on right now, Ryan, is a consequence of, yeah, Messiah has come. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, Pharaoh was trying to drown all the baby boys in the Nile River. Uh, You have the story of Esther, you know, they're going to wipe out the Jews. Uh, You have all these things, and it, it seemed like, that Satan did everything that he could to keep Messiah from coming and getting his head crushed. Messiah did come, and uh, he died on the cross. Now Satan, the promise has come that he will, um, you know, um, also that Jesus is going to come back, and there's a prerequisite that Israel is going to come and recognize that Messiah is indeed Jesus. Paul writes that in that day all of Israel will be saved. So what we're seeing going on in the Middle East towards Israel and Israel's uh, focal point of end-time prophecy is, again, a spiritual dimension that has taken place that we need to always keep in mind, that that Satan's going to try to destroy the Jews once again, and the Antichrist is going to be a part of that. So it all kind of all ties in together. So losing of his heel that he's referring to, all of those type of ca- calamities taking place. Yeah, he's speaking of, you know, of the first coming particularly, but, you know, even in the second coming, it just reminds me of that, um, that, you know, Satan is still trying to come against the Jewish people. And, of course, he hates the Christians as well. 
and um, and try to prevent Jesus from coming back the second time. So uh, interesting things that are taking place. And we as Christians, we need to understand that what's taking place is more than just a geopolitical situation, but there's a spiritual dimension that overrides all of that. Okay. Um, quickly, then, uh, the part with uh, hey Ryan, your seat. yeah, we're gonna we're gonna hear music in a little bit, but we got plenty of time. We'll go to break, and um, it's only break, and then we'll continue our conversation. So don't feel like you have to rush as you hear the music, and we're gonna hear it. Well, matter of fact, we hear it right okay. now. So if if you're willing to wait, we got plenty of time, and um, love to answer your other questions. About ninety seconds is the break. I want to invite everybody to call in. We got a couple open lines at 303-690-3000. We'll be right back, finish our conversation with Brian. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Welcome back to the second half of Calvary Live. My name is Jeff Figgs of Calvary Chapel Greeley in northern Colorado on this beautiful Monday afternoon. Those of you listening on Grace FM, you are listening live, but I'd love for you on the East Coast on Hope and Truth FM or maybe up in the upper Midwest, Refuge FM, give me a call. Love to talk with you. And as you listen on the radio, we are a week delayed, but you can call in. And uh, you, we can have our conversations. We can pray for you. And then also, all the online listeners anywhere in the country, give me a call at 303-690-3000 is the call-in number. And then the text line is for texting only. Make sure you're safe when you're texting. But 720-336-0897. Got plenty of time. Got a couple open lines or at least one open line. And uh, so grab that phone line and we'll just continue with our conversations um, and our answering your questions and praying for you as well. Just a really quick uh, announcement I'd like to make, and then we're going to get back to Ryan and finish our discussion. But I I want to remind you that we have Resurrection Weekend coming up, the first weekend in April. And so one of the things that I hope, and I'm sure that your pastor is encouraging you to do, and we want to encourage you is invite somebody out to uh, Resurrection Weekend services. And I think that most churches, uh, I don't know if all of them, but I know we are, and and uh, many of the pastors I know, are going to do in-person services this year. And, uh, and that's wonderful, because last year it was so hard. It was so different. First time in our lives that we weren't able to meet in person uh, on Resurrection Weekend or Good Friday or during Holy Week. And so this year, uh, we're going to get back to in-person. We know here, perhaps I'm sure that many of you, that as you go to church, that uh, your pastors and staff are planning on doing that as well. But one of the things I want to encourage you, and I am encouraging our church, invite somebody out uh, to Resurrection Weekend, Good Friday service. We're going to have a Good Friday at noon, Saturday evening at 6 on the 3rd of April, and then Resurrection Sunday on April the 4th, 8, 9.30, and 11 o'clock in person. And we want everyone to to invite somebody out and uh, to hear 
the greatest news ever declared in the history of mankind, that Jesus is alive and the tomb is empty. So pray about who you might invite and invite them out to Resurrection Weekends. You can invite them to church before that, uh, but people are more open to do that than ever before, and people need to hear the message of hope as Peter would say, that now we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So be praying about that. Pray about who you might ask. Um, and looking forward to God moving uh, here as we enter into a new season where more churches uh, are seeing people come back, and uh, we are having churches open up, and we need to assemble together. It's so needed today. And for those of you uh, who are still being careful and uh, we understand that the online uh, messages and the online option uh, for you is there. So um, we're just very grateful for that technology. But give me a call and love to talk to you and uh, love to be able to encourage you on this day. Ryan, are you still with us? Yes, I am. Thanks. Thanks for holding. I appreciate it, Ryan. So we just finished your first question, the reference to Genesis chapter 3, but you had another question. Yeah, still in verse 15, and it says, uh, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. So the, so the woman doesn't have a seed, and we've heard that, um, that that's a line in direct reference to the virgin birth. And in my New King James Version, it has seed capitalized with um, that being down to the Messiah. So her seed, so do you see this also for another first of the virgin birth, quickly on that? Yeah, and it it is. Um, and, um, you know, um, it, Matthias, we spelled it, has the idea of ill will, um, and he shall bruise your head and heal. Um, and he, he goes on in seed, but it is speaking of the virgin birth and, um, and, um, and it's, it's in a remarkable verse that you could study and take a look at for a long, long time. Then in 16, it says you're speaking to the, speaking to Eve, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Is that he shall rule over you? Any kind of reasoning to also go with not having women as um, pastors, elders, and deacons. And Timothy, Paul says that they should be the husband of one wife, and that the and that the woman shall not teach. And I've come across um, a pamphlet for a very, very good church where it has the husband and wife as the lead pastors listed. And then inside, you know, it'll say lead pastor, and it has her name. Is this, and he shall rule over you, also extra backing? And are we, and should I take odds with having a pamphlet or having a church involved with something that says both um, husband and wife are the lead pastors of the church? Yeah, and you see that. And in this particular verse, in verse 16 of Genesis 3, it's talking about the husband and wife relationship. And of course, in chapter 2, we see the definition of marriage that uh, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so that was the first marriage. And here, that you're going to have a desire for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And that word rule means that he's the head of the wife, he is the head of the family. And we see that carried into the New Testament. And we know that uh, Paul talks about it. We know that Peter talks about it. But here's the thing, because a lot of women have a hard time uh, about that 
as Paul writes about the roles of men and women in the church, that in Ephesians chapter 5, when you go into verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God, the husbands that um, you are to be the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, and wives be submissive to your husband as unto the Lord. And sometimes we think that word rule is a very heavy, you know, handed rule um, to, you know, to where, you know, the husband is all dictatorial and everything. I think the key for us to remember is I always remind guys when I do marriage counseling or pre-marriage counseling that you're to love your wife as Christ loves the church. And what does that mean? It means that you're willing to lay down your life for her that you serve her, just as Jesus didn't come to be served, but be the servant of all. You cherish her. You love her. You take care of her. It doesn't mean a heavy-handed kind of rule. You have a responsibility to be the head spiritually of that house. We know from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the same thing is given to us as well. And in Ephesians chapter 5, for the man is the head of the wife. But in a way where he is serving her and cherishing her, that he is um, he is submitted to the Lord. And I'll tell you what, Ryan, when a husband is seeking the Lord and he's serving his wife and he is, you know, the head in the way that God wants him to, then it's going to be a joy for a wife to submit, just as it's a joy for us to submit to the Lord. And um, so it has a, a, a whole dynamics that's there between the husband and the wife. When it comes to the church, we're talking about something different. But God still has it that when it comes to the position of an elder, a bishop, a pastor, that First Timothy, he very clearly makes it the husband of one wife. That it's God's desire that the man be in that position of a pastor. So here at Calvary Chapel, we don't have uh, women that are in the position of being a pastor. Now, with that said... It doesn't mean that they can't minister. It doesn't mean they don't have ministry. Um, It doesn't mean that they can't even teach. I won't have a woman in the position of a pastor that's in a teaching role over the congregation. But we have women that teach other women. We have women that counsel other women. We have women that teach the kids in children's ministry. You know, we have uh, women that teach in women's Bible studies, things like that. So they still have ministry, but when it comes to the leadership of the church and that position of an elder pastor um, as a overseer, all interchangeable, that I think the Word of God makes it very clear that um, he desires for the men to be in that position and has called us to be. Okay, thank you for all of your sound details and uh um, just con- continue blessings on you and your family. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate calling. God bless you. Appreciate those honest questions. And, you know, some of those things come up and, you know, and, you know, we need to follow the word of God. That's what's important and not what culture says. And so I read the word of God and, and, and I want all the ladies that are listening right now, you have such a vital role in the church and, um, we couldn't do the things that we do here without the ministry of uh, our women in the church and teaching children and teaching one another and serving. And, um, you know, it's it's a tremendous, tremendous blessing um, that you have. And, and God has called you to do that. Hey, 303-690-3000. 
is the number to call. The text line is 720-336-0897. Let's go to Tim in Inglewood. Hi, Tim. You there? Hi. Yeah. How are you? Thanks. I'm good. Thanks for holding. You're on Calvary Live. Cool. Um, so I've been reading through uh, Revelation lately, um, and I was reading in like the description of Jesus, um, and mm-hmm. I was just wondering, I guess, did did John know that it was Jesus? Like, was it was that description of Jesus similar to like the Transfiguration that happened on, um, I believe it was Mount Sinai? Yeah, the Transfiguration probably happened up on what was called Mount Hermon. Um, at the base of Mount Hermon is a place called Caesarea Philippi. As you go through the Synoptic Gospels, and that's where Peter made his confession. You remember that, Tim? He said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, when Jesus asked them, um, what, you know, who do men say that I am? And then he he got personal with them, and he said, who do you say that I am? And so the confession of Peter is there at Caesarea Philippi. When we go to Israel, we go to that place, very beautiful place, headwaters of the Jordan River. And it was six days after six days, then he goes on the Mount of Transfiguration. Mount Hermon is the highest point in Israel today is about 9,700 feet above sea level. Um, they get snow up there in the winter time. So many scholars believe that it was on Mount Hermon. Another place is Mount Tabor, kind of in the middle of Israel, that perhaps it took place there. But I don't think it was Mount Tabor because uh, they have recently found a Roman garrison up there on top of the mountain at the time that, of Jesus' day. So Probably it was Mount Hermon. But in the Mount of Transfiguration, as you know, that is recorded for us that Jesus was transfigured. That's where we get our uh, our word metamorphosis. It's what happens to a cocoon, um, you know, a caterpillar inside of a cocoon that turns into a butterfly. And his majesty, and he was being glorified from within. It wasn't like a big spotlight opened up in heaven and came back down on him, but he was transfigured. And it's interesting, the different description of the synoptic writers, that he was um, glowing as the sun. He he uh, was uh, wider than, um, you know, anything. It was hard to look at. And here in Revelation chapter 1, what you're making reference to, his head and his hair were white like wool and white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. So obviously, here is John seeing the glorified Lord. John was one of those disciples up on the mountain, and Peter writes about it, how we saw his majesty in Second Peter. They were initially asleep, but then they woke up and they got a glimpse of, of not only Jesus, but Moses and Elijah. So here in Revelation chapter 1, as he has this vision of Jesus, um, the, the hints that we have, that as his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength, very similar to the Mount of Transfiguration. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid, I'm the first and the last. So I think John knew that it was Jesus, that he is the first and the last, uh, that he is the one that lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive evermore. But he's just overwhelmed. And that's what happens, Tim, when we're in the presence of the Lord. We just can be overwhelmed um, because of his glory, because of his perfection, because of 
you know, um, that he is Lord. And I think John was just overwhelmed at that. And, um, and we can be so aware of all our shortcomings and stuff. And, and that's interesting. Have you read through, uh, chapter five of the book of Revelation, Tim? Um, no, I'm not there yet. It'll be interesting because when you get to chapter five, you're going to see John sees Jesus again, but it's a different description. And what you see is that, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll. It's this scroll that is going to be talking about. And John looked and beheld in the midst of the throne the four living creatures was the lamb as though it had been slain and having, you know, seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. He sees Jesus as though a lamb that had been slain. So it's interesting that he has that vision of Jesus there in heaven, because John's taken up into heaven, and then we know it's Jesus, because you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. You were slain and have redeemed us, the God, by your blood of every tribe, tongue, people, and nations. So that is a, a reference to Jesus. And so, but he sees Jesus as a lamb that was slain. And so when we go to heaven, here we see a description of Jesus in his glorified state, but also we see him a description in heaven there as the lamb that was slain. Um, and I find that interesting. And um, I find that to be very fascinating. Um, and I think that Revelation chapter 5, when you get to it, be looking at it very carefully, because I think this is the church that is there um, before the throne singing this new song. So it, you can look at that and... and uh, Love what the Word of God says and that description given of Jesus. And if, you know, and when you think about it, the only thing that isn't perfect in heaven is going to be the scars that Jesus bears that we're going to see as the lamb that was slain. Hmm. Interesting, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Anything else, Tim? Um, yeah, I did have another question, too. So it was talking about where Jesus was holding the nine stars, and he said that the nine stars represent the nine angels that protect the church. So I was wondering mm-hmm. if it was, I guess if there's like other biblical references and stuff that explain that angels, I guess, guard the church or protect the church, or I'm, I guess I'm a little unclear how that works. Yeah. Well, it's actually seven stars that he has. Seven. And yeah. We, yeah, he's standing in the midst of seven uh um, lampstands, and then the seven stars in his right hand um, uh, are the angels of the seven churches, and that's what you're making reference to. And so to the angel of the church of Ephesus, what Jesus does is he turns to each one of these lampstands, which are seven literal churches in Proconsular Asia, that he writes a letter to. And chapters 2 and 3 are, are so incredible because he is describing those churches. He commends them in the, in the things that they have done well. And then he brings correction to those in the areas that they're not doing well. And he starts out each of the seven letters, like to the church of Ephesus and then to the church of Smyrna and Pergamus and Thyatira and down the list. He says to the angel of the church of Ephesus, uh, the angelus, it means the messenger. So the debate is, Tim, is it, speaking of a literal angel that is over the church, or is it speaking to the pastor of the church? And there are those who 
suggest that perhaps that it's speaking to the pastor of the church, the messenger of the church. So there's a little bit of different take on that. Could it be we do know that angels are present in churches because Paul mentions that in in the Corinthian church. He says, you know, you need to have order in the church. Remember that the angels are watching. So is there an angel over a particular church? We don't know for sure. Some have thought that these letters suggest that, or again, it could be just a reference to the pastor of the church. Okay. All right. Enjoy the book of Revelation, and always keep in mind, remember in chapter 1 that there's a special blessing for those who read the words of the book of Revelation, those who hear it, and those who keep those words, and you're in for a blessing. So I hope you enjoy the book of Revelation. Thank you. You bet. God bless you. Appreciate it. Hey, read the scriptures. You know, sometimes the book of Revelation, even in some churches, get ignored and um, I've even heard some pastors say, we won't teach through the book of Revelation. Well, it is a part of the canon of Scripture, and I think we need to know the book of Revelation more than ever as we're rushing closer to the return of the Lord. 303-690-3000 is the call-in number. The text line is 720-336-0897. Let's go to Nancy in Denver. Hi, Nancy. Hi there. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for calling Calvary Live. Yes, thank you for being available. You bet. My question is pretty broad and generic, but um, I grew up independent, fundamental Baptist, and mm-hmm. was told that King James is the only version, and they referenced the verse, I believe, in Revelation about, you know, he who takes away from the word is cursed or adds to it. And I know that I nowadays nobody hardly uses that, and there's so many different translations. And I was just wondering what your thoughts were on that. If um, you know, I have a New King James and a King James and an NIV and uh, an Amplified, and I read them and I just feel, you know, convicted to stick with the King James because that's how I was taught. And I don't know, you know, I feel like God, what if he only speaks to me through that version, which seems really stupid. So I was just wondering what your thoughts were. Well, it's not really stupid, Nancy, because, you know, I have been teaching here at Calvary, um, Calvary Greeley for 25 years, and I used the new King James version. And um, I even debated when we first started whether to use the King James or the New King James, and and I went with the New King James. And I know today that um, churches will go to uh, a translation that is a little bit easier to understand. you got to remember that, um, you know, translations uh, are word-for-word translations. There's, um, you know, thought-for-thought translations. The King James is a word-for-word translation, um, same with the New King James. I think they're good translations. Um, there's um, other translations that are easier for people to use, particularly the young people. The New Living Translation is used a lot in churches today. The NIV has been used, and and they got their pros and they got their cons, and you can kind of look it up and you can kind of look at it. But here's the thing is that get a good translation, and I know that there have been the King James-only translations. Well, 
remember that the Bible gets translated Greek in the New Testament, Hebrew in the Old Testament. Those are the best translations, of course, because it's the original language. But, you know, what about the Russian Bible? What about the Chinese Bible? Um, what about, you know, the Spanish Bible? Um, there's all kinds of translations, and it's just taking the original language and trying to put it in, you know, the language of English or, or whatever language people are reading it in. And in the New King James, I use it. I have it changed because that's where I got my verses memorized is in the New King James. And I've memorized verses year after year after year. So to me, the New King James is what I'm comfortable with, what I've studied. Uh, and, you know, I'm still one that I write the text that I go over. I like to write down those verses. It just sticks to in my mind. So I think, Nancy, that's perhaps what you are sensing as well. You grew up on the King James. I think the King James for the younger people is uh, very hard to understand. I think the King James can be hard, a little bit different. But I also believe that the King James, there's, you know, it's kind of, um, it's it's a beautiful language as well, some of it. And, and I enjoy it, reading it sometimes. But, you know, I use the New King James. So whatever translation, I think as long as people use a good word-for-word translation, and they understand it. And, um, you know, they're, uh, th- what you want to stay away from is the paraphrase, you know, uh, more the thought-for-thought like translations. What's that? Yeah, Would don't, that be the, like message. the message? Yes, exactly. So, but you're good with the King James. I think it's, you know, you're used to it, you understand it, and, um, and you know, you grew up on Somewhat. it. So. It, I do. It's a little difficult, but then, you know, there was yeah. always the argument that the, we have the Holy Spirit to to make it understandable. So that was never a good argument, you know, that the other that it's hard to understand. And so, mm-hmm. uh, it's I don't know. It's just well, it's gets, it's an it's an old English. It's an out. You know, some would say an outdated. I don't know if that's the right term, but that's why they came with the new King James version, which is a little bit easier. But, you know, the NIV is easier, and, you know, there's debate on the NIV because it's been, um, you know, um, modified or, you know, um, the, the, the recent translation of it. Is it a thought-for-thought thought or word-for-word? Word? And there's debate on that. Uh, you have the Revised Standard Version word-for-word. Word. So, you know, one of the things, too, is you got Bible um, programs like uh, Bible Gateway, and you can go to all these translations, and you can read it. And sometimes, even in the New King James, Nancy, I will read it from the New Living Translation or something, just to get a little bit better understanding, or the uh, you know English version or whatever a version where I can kind of understand what's being said. But I do stay away from the you know paraphrase um, translations. And even the thought-for-thought thought translations, I want more of a word-for-word word translation. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, enjoy reading. Um, I will. But you know, the, the the thing is, is the King James is just not contemporary really anymore. And what we found, Nancy, is the young people really have a hard time with it, and so we we want them to understand it. So, like the middle schoolers and stuff, high schoolers. 
uh, we'll use the New Living Translation. I know mo- more pastors are using that. Um, but I still have my New King James. And the other thing, too, if I change translations, then everybody's, you know, hundreds of people have got to go out and buy a new Bible just so they can follow along <laughs> right. with me. So, right. <laughs> so, you know, which I guess okay. is okay. But all right, Nancy, thanks Thank for calling. Appreciate it. Hopefully that, that helps a little bit. It did. Thank you very much. Okay, you have a great evening. The important thing is read your Bible. You know, get a good, uh, you know, Bible. You can do the comparisons on the Bible translations, and um, but King James is not as contemporary. New King James, American Standard, all these different, you know, NIV. Uh, read your Bible. That's the main thing, and um, be uh, one that is you know, in the Word of God, and be blessed and keep growing in the Word of God. And as you do, the Word of God is going to be hidden in your heart, and it's going to grow you, and it's going to bless you. And that's what we need. We need to be fed. I can't help but think about what Jesus in the feeding of the 4,000 that we went over not long ago in Matthew's Gospel. And the people were with him for three days. And he said, to the disciples, I don't want to send them away lest they faint. We need to feed them. And you see, Jesus didn't just feed them physically, but he was feeding them spiritually. And you know what? If we aren't being fed the Word of God, and make sure you're going to a church that you know is teaching you the Word of God, um, that stands on the Word of God, that you might be fed, because if we're not, we'll faint on the way because we see more deception in this world than ever before. Hey, thank you everyone who called in. Had a great show. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to being with you same time tomorrow. God bless you. Have a good evening. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's Word.